Hey guys, it's Adam. This episode is a simulcast of Mike Leone's Establish the Edge Pod. I think his team-by-team preview series with Ben Gretsch is just an incredible way to prepare for the season and a great way to learn about how we think about doing player projections. As you know, everything we do at ETR is built from an analytical approach to projecting how players will perform, and this is a bit of a peek behind that curtain. Today's episode looks at every player in the NFC North. Again, this is a simulcast of Establish the Edge, Mike Leone's podcast. If you like it, find it on all available podcast platforms. Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, back with Ben Gretsch as we continue our off-season projection special series. We're back with episode six today, which is going to be the NFC North. We recorded the AFC North yesterday, and then uh, we'll take the weekend off and then get you the last two podcasts, the AFC South and NFC South, sometime next week, that first week of August. And yeah, it's it's been fun and really enlightening for me doing these with Gretch. I'm like tweaking the projections in the back end as we go through things. And you can follow all of Ben's work at bengretch.substack.com and also his podcast with Sean Siegel called Stealing Bananas. You can find that on the iTunes Podcast Network. You can also find establish the edge on the itunes podcasts and you can check out the established run youtube channel if you want to see ben and i's faces while we do this give us a like a subscription that helps a lot for us to continue to do free content like this for you without further ado let's jump into the nfc north and interesting team right off the bat i mean there's a few interesting teams here really in the nfc north and green bay you know, clear favorites in the division, but they do lose Devontae Adams. And that opens up some uncertainty, some opportunity for some guys. And they, just how efficient this offense runs could change a lot, in my opinion. I actually think they're somewhat of a fragile team, not just for fantasy, but overall, I could see them you know, disappointing the preseason expectations because they're still considered like really pretty strong favorites in the NFC. But we're pretty close on play calling, Ben. I have 63 plays per game. You have 62 and a half. I have a 61% pass rate. You have a 60% pass rate. So we're pretty close there, which is, you know, kind of like a little bit on the boring side as far as play calling goes. Yeah, they've been fairly consistent, a little bit slower paced. Rogers is deliberate. I, I think I had them leaning a little bit more run because the strength of their team is now probably those two running backs as opposed to, you know, the passing, I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers is still the strength of the team, but you don't have, yeah, you don't have uh, Devontae Adams. So it's, uh, yeah, they've been a, a fairly consistent offense for a couple of years now. We kind of have an idea of what they'll be. I was leaning into pass a little bit more because I, I think the game script might not be what it's been. But if you look at the Vegas indication, it is going to be pretty strong. So, that's a little bit of IKB. I know better there. Ultimately, we spit out Rodgers around 325 fantasy points in standard leagues. He's not someone, you know, I've really targeted because he's kind of that. I mean, I mean, he's starting to drop. He's QB 14 now in the FFPC football guys championship league. And we have him QB 14, but generally I, I'm trying to get a quarterback prior to Rodgers you don't get a ton of volume from him. You lose Devonte Adams. You're really dependent on the efficiency for that to go right for Rogers. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I completely agree, but obviously this guy's the back-to-back MVP also like 
14 and we're depending on the efficiency i mean but i'm with you i i want to get a kidney before him i've seen him fall in some drafts and i don't even necessarily take the value on him um i i i consider it for sure but um yeah he's kind of in no man's land a little bit right that's a good way to describe it at running back Man, Aaron Jones' early draft season was one of the easiest clicks in round three. Then he moved up to round two, and now he's almost going early round two. And for a while there, we were like, that's that's a little bit too rich. But we did do kind of a second sweep of our Green Bay projections recently. And Ben, I think the pass catching upside for Aaron Jones is like really, really high. And there's some concerns for me with you know the offense overall and AJ Dillon cutting into some rush work, particularly by the goal line. But ultimately, Aaron Jones is a really explosive player who can catch a ton of passes, and that's sort of you know, the type of running back we want to bet on. So I wouldn't say I'm in in the early second, but you get into a stretch in drafts where after CD Lamb goes, if you want to go wide receiver, it's a little trickier. Like, I don't know if it's too early for Mike Evans, T Higgins, those types of guys. And I could be convinced into taking Aaron Jones there. Yeah. He's, I mean, the, the backfield is really interesting because AJ Dillon's going really high as well. Uh, obviously there's a lot of discussion about Aaron Jones splits with and without Devonta Adams. It's a pretty small sample. My read on that is typically been the Packers sort of game plan those weeks, knowing they don't have Adams and say, who's our other best player. It's Aaron Jones. We're going to lean on him more. It's interesting that, you know, when Adams comes back, they're kind of like, okay, we're going to give him a little time off. Like, I don't think they think of him as a guy that they can do that with 17 weeks for a year. At the same time, Adams hasn't missed a ton of time. So just taking the splits off and looking at Jones' full season numbers, three years in a row now, either 4.3 or 4.4 targets per game. Incredibly consistent. Uh, we can talk about that in market share, market share terms, but it's just like, I'm just looking at raw targets. It's very close. Yeah. The target share. Uh, you multiply that by 17 games, that's 73 targets. I mean, you and I are projecting him for 80 and 76, a little bit more than that, but not that much more, right? And and like you said, there's there's that's why there's upside. Even even more, I can see him having a hundred target season, and that's not saying that he has to do what he has done in the past with Adams out. That's saying he's just like a half a target a game higher than what he's been in full over the whole sample of the last three years. So doesn't require a ton more and they might with these two backs they might be doing different things with him they've they've actually thrown downfield to him a little bit gotten some of those those running back air yards i love to see uh he's caught a few touchdowns on plays that have actually been you know routes where he's been 10 15 yards down the field they might split him out a little bit and have aj Dillon on the field you could see them doing that i don't think they're going to do that a ton necessarily or, or i'm not expecting that but if they did that would obviously help jones maybe use him in jet motion, get him more space touches while they just make the bigger Dylan, the, the, the you know, the straight one single back in those formations that again, would be a small subset of plays. But when you look at this roster, like the first thing that stands out is like, they have two really talented backs. They don't have a lot of receivers. You would understand them thinking through some, some packages that like, like that. Yeah, so I, I mean, I do think there is a nutty season in the range of outcomes for Aaron Jones. I've had a tough time with A.J. Dillon, who's a player I really like in the vacuum. You know, kind of that that hybrid of having standalone value where there's going to be enough split carries and enough goal line touches for him to have value, even if Aaron Jones is healthy. And then 
huge upside if Aaron Jones were to get hurt. He's going very early. Um, he's going, you know, ahead of some guys that are starting running backs. And I don't know. I have a tough time with that price tag. How do you feel about Dylan in say like round six? I don't love it. I've not pulled the trigger on him much. And he's a guy I've been really excited about. I drafted one of my most drafted running backs last year. Uh, was very excited about his potential role. Was a very good pass catcher last year. Showed what the concern was. He couldn't catch any passes. Showed that he can do that. Uh, the, the catch rate was really strong. The yards per reception was strong. Um, you know, in that at that price range, I do think you're sort of saying. I always talk about these like small miss, big hit players. The big hit is there, right? If Aaron Jones goes down, there's potential. All of Aaron Rodgers' running backs almost throughout his career, because of the way defenses have to respect his ability to dissect their secondary, the the running backs have had really good efficiency because teams are not stacking the box against him. You get a back like Dylan against, you know, nickel and dime defenses with extra DBs on the field. He's going to be tough to bring down. He's a huge running back, right? So, uh, Aaron Jones is out. I think he really would stress defenses. They'd have to risk bringing in, you know, some heavier players, and then what, then Rogers is picking you apart, right? So there is this element where you can see that that big, big hit outcome if Jones isn't in the lineup. But if Jones is there, he doesn't really feel like a small miss player. He feels like at this price, like he could be a pretty big miss uh, if Jones is, you know really the focal running back still. And he, and, and Dylan's kind of operating as a backup. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting 10 carries and like two to three targets a game, I, I don't, you know, that's, that could be tough. You know, if, if the efficiency doesn't break, right. The floor is pretty low there. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to see Dylan more in like round seven, uh, round six is just, yeah. And you try not to be like too nitpicky on price, but uh, I do think it matters. Like round exactly. seven is when I start, you know, yeah. seven or eight is when I start considering some of these backs where we're like, okay, you know, some some of the wide receiver upside's gone. I'll, I'll take my swings. Yeah, it's a great uh, line to draw because at that point, he'd be more of a small miss with still the, the big hit. And then it's like, okay, he's a target there. But round six, opportunity cost equation is different. Okay, we have a big target discrepancy on Alan Lazard. You have 108 targets. I have 86. This is someone that I've really struggled with. I've struggled with, honestly, the targets for this offense you know, like I feel pretty confident Aaron Jones should be targeted heavily for a running back. But outside of that, I don't know. Devontae Adams had just, you know, such an absurd target share year in and year out for Green Bay. And then you have all these other guys that were just kind of spread. No one seemed that seemed to like really step up as a reliable, you know, week in and week out, you know, 18, 20% wide receiver too, in terms of target share. So Part of my concern with the pass catchers overall is just that this team's not as efficient as last year. They end up decently spread out, and it's disappointment. I know there's a lot of Lazard hype. He had, I'm looking at last year, you know, he cracked 20% target share once last year. Um, the rest of his games, I think he had a couple in the high teens, but he's generally like a low teens target share, like really all over the place. And I, I guess I just don't know enough about his talent level to know if he can earn those targets. And I'm hesitant that just because the opportunity is there to throw 
you know, the targets, Lazard's way or really anyone's way in this offense. So Lazard is a guy you go all the way back to college, was a four-year player, was not an early declare, but he had three true breakout seasons with a, a dominator rating over 30%. He was an incredibly efficient player. Uh, shout out my Stealing Videos co-host, Sean Siegel. He, I remember way back then when he came out in, uh, I think it's like 2017, he told me to you know put Lazard on the on the back of my flyer list, and I drafted him in some pre-draft rookie drafts. But he didn't really, you know, he didn't get the draft capital. He ended up in Jacksonville. He bounces around. He ends up with the Packers. He's been pretty good. I wish we had metrics that like with stuff like targets per run that removed plays that the like plays where Devonte Adams was the clear first read and got the target right. Like how much was Alan Lazard earning volume? outside those plays because there was a lot Mm -hmm. of those plays in this offense Lazard was really good after earning the target from an efficiency perspective if you depth adjust he's had good touchdown rates he looks like a pretty good player but you're right he hasn't earned big volume but how much is that because he's running routes against or alongside a guy who a lot of plays is just the only option like he's Rodgers knows pre-snap he's going there and that's like not a small subset of plays when you watch the Packers I can see it with Lazard I'm not like super in on him. Usually we don't see this type of guy break out, but the way that Rodgers can lock into guys, he's a talented player. It's impossible to project the target shares here. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I, like for me though, it's like, I mean, we're talking a guy who had an 11% target share last yeah. year. Like, we, so we're asking, I guess what I'm saying is like, we're asking a lot out of him to become. Yeah. The price is too much yeah. for me. I mean, it, it, it's a, yeah. it's a step too much. I haven't taken him uh really anywhere but i i mean yeah i'm just hedging basically i'm not drafting him but i'm i want i don't want to be the guy that says lazard can't do it because i actually think there are scenarios where he comes out and has 130 targets yeah i don't i don't see those scenarios but i could be completely wrong like there's a lot of guesswork here which is kind of what makes it fun and makes it interesting i do see scenarios where he's like high teens maybe and like really efficient um, yeah. The only way that happens, to be clear, is if he's getting a bunch of those Adams plays I just described. Suddenly, Lazard's getting all of them. I should go back and look at like what Jordy Nelson was at before his big target rate season, what Adams was at. Some of those guys in Rogers' office, I'm pretty sure, took some big target share jumps the first year that they became his target hog. So that would be the, the trend you'd be trying to buy into. But I, I did not look at that before the show. And behind him, it's a mess right now uh the most exciting guy right now is probably romeo dubs i know he's someone i believe you've been on for a good bit ben correct me if i'm wrong there yes absolutely. i know except for i'm not well number one I'm, I'm not happy that you uh have him projected higher than me i feel like I, i'm the low guy but number two it's not surprising <laughs> because i didn't get him in all the rookie drafts i was trying to get him in because you sniped him from me in like at least two i think maybe three of our of our <laughs> dynasty leagues <laughs> Shout out Anthony Amico is, has been pretty firm on being lower than the market in Dynasty on Christian Watson and higher on the market than Romeo Dubs. That looks good early with Watson. You know, he's someone who's pretty raw and now he's banged up too. And that's just like not a great way to start your rookie season. And Dubs, meanwhile, is getting a lot of press, a lot of hype. It's always hard to believe how much of that is fluff or not. Um, but he's pretty cheap. So like pretty easy take in best ball. Then you've got the vets. You know, Sammy Watkins potentially doesn't make the team. He's on like the pup NFI. I'm not sure, but I think it's like the non-football injury list he's on 
right now. So I'm not entirely sure what's going on with Watkins. It seems like there's always something going on. Um, And then you've got Randall Cobb, who's, you know, dust, but also Aaron Rodgers might just play demand that he plays and throw to him. So that's sort of the the breakdown of what we've got working with. We've on the back end, essentially we've got like targets everywhere. And, you know, Amari Rodgers might not be dead, dead, just given the lack of competition here. So it's messy, Ben. It's messy. Yeah. The way I'm looking at it is I think Lazard has a role. I think Cobb has a not full-time role, but a role as someone Rogers trusts, right? We saw that last year. And then it's sort of up for grabs with Watson, Watkins, and Dubs. And I do really like the idea that Dubs can just straight up beat out Watson. I think Watson situationally with his athleticism will fill some of what MVS did. It's not as straightforward as just being like, oh, Watson's in the MVS role because the whole thing could be different. Like you said, it's messy. I do think it's going to be split. You guys are even more like flat, but my, my, this is probably the flattest group I have as well in my Mm -hmm. projections, even though mine are a little bit more, you know, smooth or uh, a little bit more spiky. But um, yeah, the main thing I, I feel is like, it doesn't mean I want to take Cobb, but like I, you know, it's like the main thing that I feel is firm is like Lazar's going to have a role. Cobb's going to probably have some type of a role, uh, get some targets. And the rest of it is, is really up in the air. Dubs is the, exciting one he's mu- he's a lot like what i described with lazard four-year player three true breakout seasons good producer from a small school went to nevada um watson not as productive even in a smaller school and you know watson has a draft capital advantage but there's cases to make that dubs is a be- you know going to be a better target or a better producer that type of production tends to follow into the into the nfl but the the draft capital gap is pretty huge and it's a big right thing that dubs has to overcome yeah, I think, you know, ultimately, if Sammy Watkins got cut, that'd be better for everybody, uh, particularly Lazard and Dubs, I think. And us. <laughs> um, and, and us. I think, I mean, people know that I'm a sucker for the old wide receivers, but I, I've only really been drafting Watkins like round 17, 18. And I think most of these guys right now are best ball only. I think Watkins could be play an annoying amount if if he makes the team, but it's, it's like kind of like, there's like a correlation there, right? Like the way his contract is where he's not making the team unless they plan on, you know, playing him and utilizing him. And, you know, like, it's not like, yeah. So yeah. Long winded way of saying, keep your eye on Romeo dubs, mostly just best ball guys after Lazard. Lazard's definitely locked in as a, a starter here i agree with all of that analysis stepping back big picture what do you think is most likely do you think it's actually flat in season or do you think a couple guys rise above and are sort of rogers guys because that's probably i think it's going to be flat like okay. i mean it's probably not as flat as i'm projecting because someone might like be some involved. of the, someone might not be active of the yeah. you know the, the guys that i'm, I'm projecting like Amari Rogers could just be completely dead. I mean, right now I've got targets for six wide receivers, uh, you know, above an amount that we usually do. Now there's abs and flows over the course of the season. Some guys could be active one week and not active another week and vice versa. I do think like, I'm worried it's going to be pretty flat. I, I think we could easily see a situation where like the Colts for a while there before Pittman emerged had kind of an absurd target share where it was like, nobody was above 15% over a certain span. I think it could be mega flat, but um, I just think it, the, 
uh, essentially that Rodgers has always replaced that sort of go-to guy. I think it would be tough for him to not have someone that he has that sort of connection he had with Adams. Like those plays I was talking about, they got to go somewhere or else, you know, are they just not a part of the, yeah. a lot of the pre-snap diagnosis stuff that he does. It's got to go somewhere. It feels like, I think that's why there's so much it's, hype on Lazard. Right. But, the, but Lazard yeah. is baking that in so much already. And I mean, previously those guys that you mentioned were really good. I mean, Jordy Nelson, Devonta Adams, had you know greg jennings you know going back to those like those guys were really really good um so we'll see tunyon's interesting too because he already has a really high touchdown rate if you take away some of the adams plays by the goal line you know does he score a ton of touchdowns he's in like the lazard boat for me too though where i'm like i don't i don't know how many targets i can give this guy uh we were talking about him and in slack too and maybe i'm just being because generally i've talked about on this show and overall attacking the uncertain situations right like i like to attack them this is one of the uncertain situations i haven't really been attacking i think tunyon's price is so cheap that he's fine and this just goes back to waiting at tight end where i'm like dude i'll wait and get higby i'll wait and get fan i'll wait and get tunyon like i don't know if there's a massive difference between him and some of these other guys in the mid-tier um, you know, obviously if someone falls enough, if they're your preference, like I'll take you sicky if he falls enough, but I'm not reaching on earlier tight ends. So I don't, any Tunyon takes were pretty similarly projected around 65 targets and 105 points and half PPR 127 and full. Yeah. I just think Mercedes Lewis and, and Josiah Degara are going to be getting some targets as well. We both have them projected for at least 30 combined um Tanyan has not had high target rates these last couple of years even on like a per route basis it's hard to imagine him suddenly being a 100 target guy it's just not really the role or how he's used he, he could have some some good efficiency spikes and with a little bit of target bump that could make him solid but i don't think he's going to be a star unless he gets to that 10 td range again which he was at a couple of years ago okay let's go to minnesota and I th- there's been a lot of hype about them throwing more. I'm I do think they throw a little more, and I am very excited for Justin Jefferson. I think some of the hype, not to be the wet blank, is a little bit overblown with you know the the coaching change from Zimmer to O'Connell. Um, their PROE last year wasn't like crazy low. You know, it was minus two percent. It wasn't. You know, so you're talking not even in the bottom third of the league, like just that you're, you're in the bottom of the middle third of the league. And also, you know, throwing more can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It could just mean that they're a neutral pass rate team. So we've got them both. I've actually got them for a higher pass rate than you at 61%. You've got 60.5%. We both have them right around the league average in plays run per game. So in terms of pass rush attempts, it ends up really, really similar. Yeah, my big note on them is like it's a combination of some kind of slight unknowns, but some pretty clear knowns. We know that Dalvin's probably going to be the workhorse when healthy. I felt like I could have projected him for a ton. I don't really trust his health necessarily because he has had some shoulder stuff and some things that maybe could be re-injury concerns. Uh, and you know that Jefferson's going to be very heavily targeted in the feelings. You know, he's been car- holding on with the touchdowns, but his his numbers have started to fall off. So it's Jefferson, then Phelan as the one and the two. Um, 
the unknowns are and like that those three guys are going to be a huge part of the offense the unknowns are the scheme stuff that you said right like we don't we i i like the way you put it the hype is maybe a little overblown like we can say that all the other mcveigh understudies have had really good offenses but like we don't really know necessarily also, how each individual person is gonna you know apply that on their new offenses McVeigh isn't exactly like someone who's out there chucking the ball left and right either yeah, though right you know, that's the, i mean He's run smart, sharp offenses overall, but I mean, he's not chucking the ball around the field. And if you read some of the stuff from O'Connell, it sounds like he talks a lot. Like I read some stuff where he's talking about like the way that they use their run game and stuff. And and people are thinking of it like they're going to be super pass heavy. I mean, it sounded to me like it was going to be like a little more run focused than what I was feeling like the market was was feeling. And then they're going to be like playing play action off of that. It could still be really good for the pass. But like what you said, McVeigh isn't like a super pass happy coach necessarily. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah. Kirk Cousins ends up in no man's land too. Similar to Rogers. I have him right behind Rogers in our quarterback rankings. I don't know if there's a lot to say there. Dalvin's an interesting discussion. I feel similarly to you where I could have just given him a whole ton of work. You know, we ended up, having him really similarly projected. I've got a handful less carries, but a handful more targets. So we're talking about 275 carries, 60-ish targets for Dalvin Cook. And yeah, if he holds up, I mean, for a while there, he was going at the one-two turn. And I was honestly like, uh, I was smashing that. I know he's a back that can fail, but I, w- I was pretty in on that. He's starting you know, to creep up. Again, I'm, I'm mostly relying on the FFPC Football Guys Championship ADP because I, I find it to be like, the best hybrid ADP between sharp and casual drafting. And he's up to, you know, ninth, which I still think, I still think he's fine. Like at the one, two turn, but he's starting to creep up a little bit more. Yep. I think there's definitely ceiling. You go back to, you know, Pat Crane's work last off season about the legendary upside in the, in the first round, how you, you have to target running backs that have that. I think he has that he still scares me. And so I, I don't wind up taking a lot of him. Um, but I, I, yeah, I mean, you can, he's talented and he has paths to a lot of work. <laughs> like that's, that's a good combination. Madison, you know, one of the better handcuffs that you can draft in fantasy football. He is one of those backs again, where in pure managed leagues, I'm drafting him a little bit earlier than I am in best ball because I just want this swing at the upside, especially you know, at this point in time in the season where if something were to happen with Dalvin Cook, you'd be getting a guy that you know, would be going in the top four rounds pretty easily if something happened to Dalvin Cook in the, the preseason. So I don't, I don't, do you have anything to add on Madison? It kind of feels like the same spot it's been for the last year or two, or do you see that it's changed at all? I know, um, you know, like they, they have the rookie Ty Chandler there and, but yeah, maybe they have a little bit more depth behind him. It's sort of interesting. Um, to think about if it's been if it is the exact same situation um, with Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler's a pretty interesting back in his own right, and they also have uh, Kenny Nwangwu, who's a little bit more of a special teams type guy, but was explosive in his limited offensive opportunities last year. Maybe Madison wouldn't get the full you know workhorse role under a new coaching staff if Cook went down the way that we've seen the past coaching staff kind of just mm-hmm. treat Madison as the one for one. That's that's the only like slighter concern. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think cool. like at ADP, he just seems 
fine to me where it's like what are you what are you looking for on the team you're drafting okay if you want the pure upside you're taking madison a little bit before adp if you want a little bit more standalone value you can maybe wait on it yeah uh we're both really in on justin jefferson i'm like even somewhat conservative on the targets and i still am at 148 you have him at 166 he could absolutely ball i think him versus cooper cups a legitimate discussion this year i don't think it's a slam dunk i'm i think we both ended up on the cup side uh but it's a conversation worth having for sure the upside for jefferson too is i think he is the type of guy that could earn you know a 30 percent target share in the right situation and if you get justin jefferson with a 30 percent target share it just it's absolutely lights out yeah he's been a monster obviously too straight years of 2.5 plus yards per route run the targets per route run were really good as a rookie took a big step forward even in year two to like truly you know knocking on the door of truly elite levels Thielen's targets per route run fell below 20 percent uh for the first time in several years and have fallen off quite a bit from his peak years like back in like 2017 uh his yards per hour has dropped quite a bit it was down at 1.6 last year had been over to, you know, 2018 and prior, and then, you know, right around 1.9 for a couple of years in 2019 and 2020, fell even further last year. I think, you know, Thielen's still good. He's had the high target, uh, excuse me, TD rate, and, and I know why people still want to be in on him, but I do think we've, there's some pretty clear multi-year evidence that he's exiting his prime and is now sort of the second piece. You want to bet into the touchdowns, go ahead, but like, part of the reason I'm so aggressive on these target shares is, is that target earning potential and what, where the trends are going. You have Jefferson ascending into his prime looking like, you know, he's right there with Jamar Chase is the, the future of the position in the NFL and probably just an absolute superstar and, and just kind of wanting to bake in some of those ceiling outcomes with this. I have a, definitely an aggressive projection for him, but um, I think it's warranted when you look at the, the other pass catchers, there's not a lot else there either behind Thielen. Yeah, Thielen's an interesting guy to talk about too. As you mentioned, there's definitely some evidence he's declining. It's going to be his age 32 season. He's now the clear number two behind a clear number one. Um, yeah, I you know Sylvan and I did an NFFC draft where we didn't go as wide receiver heavy early as I would like to, and we got caught and we just got sniped in round six. We got caught in a really bad spot. And we took Thielen and it looks like a pretty bad pick in my opinion in a vacuum, but like we needed to sort of start compiling wide receivers and we, we had to take one, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you just get those spots where we got to take one and then, and then the receivers as a whole ended up looking okay. I'm a little squeamish on Thielen. I do think there is though, as you mentioned, there's not a lot behind him. So like the reverse, if something happened to Jefferson, yeah. You know, could we see one more twilight season from Thielen where he's commanding a lot of targets because there's nobody else? I mean, I think it's possible. And that's sort of the one, you know, saving grace for Thielen that and knowing that he maybe can get, you don't want to bank on him keeping a super high touchdown rate, but it's not bad to have in your bad pocket, in your back pocket as a guy that you could just, you know, get lucky there. Yep. I like that. I mean, a lot of people are in on KJ Osborne and Irvin Smith. Uh, I would just note both of them. Osborne last year, good season. Had a couple splash plays, long touchdowns, good like after the target efficiency. But his targets per run, not anything. Like he looks like a run of the mill third or fourth receiver. 
uh, from like a target earning potential. And same with Irv Smith. He didn't obviously play last year, but in 2019, 2020, didn't do a whole lot. Obviously, you know, in some two tight end sets and stuff. But even when you look at it on a per route basis, didn't look like a guy that was going to command a ton of volume, didn't really have a monster production profile in college necessarily. And so the other guys that that sort of are interesting, I'm with you. Like if something did happen to Jefferson, I, I think that there is a case that, I mean, Thielen has flashed like legit target earning potential in the past. If he's, you know, still got some juice in his legs, he, I, I think he would probably be um, in line to, to be to have a pretty big stretch whenever Jefferson was out. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a stretch of wide receivers where, I mean, it gets tough. Generally, I'm breaking ties with like the younger, higher potential guys. Where my personal drafting style, like I'm probably taking Elijah Moore and Drake London over Thielen, and that's about that range. But it is. It is sort of a strange, strange range, I guess, uh, especially if like those two guys are gone. Then you're talking like Hunter Renfro type. And then I might take the only, you know, ahead of Renfro. Yeah, I'm usually just reaching for the next second year receiver that I can find or the next going all the way to a rookie. I'll, I'll just go around ahead of ADP at that point to not have to take those guys. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Irv Smith at tight end. I like Irv. The price has come up a ton since the start of the offseason. So. I just like, I don't know how many tight ends. I just need to say there's a tight end saying to Ben before we went live, the stretch of tight ends from like almost starting at 10 from like 10 to even 20. Like we, we switch the inputs on the target share a little bit. And these guys can jump from the back of the tier, the top of the tier and the opposite way as well. If we drop the target share some and Irv, we have at the top of that tier right now. I do like Irv. Uh, One of the reasons I like Irv is I think he's, I think individually he has a little bit of upside, but also trying to pull up, but like Tyler Conklin, like just walked into a pretty, pretty valuable uh, role. Like we were playing Tyler Conklin in DFS. Yeah. He had a 15% target share last season, but they also brought over Johnny Munt from the Rams, the coaching staff. He doesn't do shit. Does he? I mean, no, I don't think he's going to do any like, yeah, I don't, I just think he's just annoying for, for earth playing every tight end snap basically. But um, Let's just go in there and block. It'll be fine. My my approach in that range that you're discussing is like to focus almost solely on upside. We talked on the last show about Fryermuth and how he had a more impressive rookie season than probably gets credit for with the really strong targets per run numbers. That's a guy that could be a top five tight end eventually. I don't think Irv Smith can necessarily. And so I'm not really probably taking a floor tight end at that point. I'm probably waiting even later and then taking somebody that I think has upside to get to Irv Smith's range, which is like, you know, Trey McBride late or some, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's sort of how I approach it, but I don't think it's wrong to have him ranked there or to take him or to just check off the tight end box with somebody that you think has stable target volume to not, again, I'm not a lot else in this passing game. Uh, and if something happened to Jefferson, especially like you'd think Irv would have to do more. Right. So, yeah. Um, and I get it. it it's also, I mean, what league you're in, you know, if you're drafting in some of these best ball leagues or not even best ball leagues, but like FFPC football guys championship that are 20 rounds, you might wait. But if you're in like a 16 round home league where kicker defense you're taking, it's really a 14 round draft. Like at that point, yeah, take your preference at tight end in round 11, because <laughs> you're just taking right. like two more running back dart throws before you're taking kicker defense at that point. Cause it's you fine. Just stream. You can cut them and, and stream. If, if the Trey McBride hits, right. You can just make that, make that change. 
Yeah, I mean, it's so there's there's definitely different like, you know, well, maybe I'll take Irv Smith in that format where I like him a little bit better than, you know, Noah Fant. Whereas if I'm in a draft where it's 20 rounds deep, I might wait two rounds and take Noah Fant because the value actually matters. Whereas the value is almost immaterial at that point in like a 16 round, 15 round home league draft. Um, Detroit. So ETR is on the Detroit Lions bandwagon. We've got some futures on Detroit to win the division, to make the playoffs. I know Levitan got a really good number on Dan Campbell, coach of the year. We might be overhyping Detroit a little bit. Part of this plays into my skepticism over Green Bay being as strong as the market thinks they are. Uh, Let's see what that means for fantasy. We've each got them below average in pace, running about 62.5 62.5 to 63 plays per game, calling passes about 61% of the time. That leads us to very similar projections on Jared Goff, around 270 fantasy points and standard scoring leagues. Goff, really just like a best ball stack guy only. I don't think there's material upside here in any sort of managed league. In two quarterback leagues, like every starting quarterback is getting drafted, but I mean, he's definitely into the QB20s for sure. At running back, though, Swift is the guy to talk about. Like, how early are you taking Swift? He helped lead us to our NFFC Platinum Championship last year that you, me, and Peter Overset and Pat Corain drafted. Really exciting player. Um, definitely starting to be priced like a really exciting player. Your thoughts on Swift? Yeah, the receiving side of it is so, I, I mean, appealing, right? Like he, he, I'm projecting him for 92 targets and I, you know, first kind of looked at his target share and plugged in a couple numbers. I think I had him over a hundred. You've got him down at 84, probably more realistic, but I, at any rate, like the, the comparisons to like being the next Alvin Kamara, I think are fair. He also gets a lot of the, the green zone work, right. For each of the last couple of years has had the, the high value touchdown work in this offense so if you're going to catch a ton of passes and have the potential for TD spike, you're talking about the Lions offense being better. I mean, maybe he mm-hmm. has that spike touchdown season as part of that just because they're scoring more points and he's getting more opportunities inside the five. We, we got to see him, you know, stay healthier, right, for a full season. But he's an explosive player, gets the types of touches that I love. We call those high-value touches, the receptions and the, and the rush attempts in close. And then there's probably still also some upside to his rush share. I, I'm actually projecting that, and it looks like you guys are even more than me, that gap between him and Jamal Williams to widen on the rushing side. So, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty in on Swift. I can see, again, see the legendary upside here. Yeah, Swift is kind of comparable to Aaron Jones to me when I start looking at exactly like how it happens, which is basically an explosive back who's going to catch a lot of passes. And yeah. Swift, I think, has more upside on the pure volume side of things than Aaron Jones, where I think there's a higher ceiling on rush share. I think there's a higher ceiling on target share. I think it's just like overall, you could see a little bit more volume than both versus Aaron Jones. So that's that's basically what we're projecting is more volume than Aaron Jones on both. Aaron Jones, you know, realistically on the team, that's most like more likely to score more points and have a bit more efficiency, particularly in the ground game. Swift actually, I don't think has been like that efficient on the ground. Um, you know, that can change. He's a dynamic player, whereas Aaron Jones has been very efficient on the ground. So those two players are interesting to me. Like we had them ranked very, very closely. I think I prefer Swift, but 
I do see where it's pretty close. I do prefer Swift, but it's close. And as far as the targets, you're projecting 92. He had last year was a 78 in 13 games. So you're basically projecting last year's pace. Um, so we're, we're definitely yeah, a little even, bit I, conservative on there. That might be the the number that was over 100 because I think you have four games to that. He might even go over 100. Oh, four yeah. games. That's right. I'm only adding three games. So he, yeah. so we're like, we're actually both a little bit conservative on the targets. Part of that isn't so much running back competition for me as it is, you know, they just keep expanding the talent of the wide receiver groupings. And I'm on Ross St. Brown really came on at the end of the year. So that's the big part of it for me was, you know, I got down to the receivers and I was like, well, a lot of these short area targets can go to Amon Ra now. <laughs> you know, they didn't, they didn't yes. have that early last year. He wasn't, Amon Ra came on strong late. We should probably switch over to the receivers, right? He had the 30% target share in each of his six games, uh, final six games. He was not heavily targeted in the first half of the year. The big question on him is like, is he going to be that final six game guy or, you know, I, with a rookie coming on late, typically it's, you know, it's okay to look at those splits a little bit and say, look, this is him developing into what he is. Cause it's cause we, we have a long-term trend of rookies being better late in their rookie season after they, you know, get, a, get their sea legs under him a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Amon Ra for, for like this, probably so far, my, one of my most highly drafted players, I've taken him in some dynasty startups that I've done taking him in redraft. I mean, you get into round six and the receivers start to fall off a little bit. I think he's an easy pick. As you said, it's just absurd end of the season. Guys just don't have stretches like that. I know it's cherry picking a little bit of a stretch, but as you said, like it's not totally cherry picking because it's a rookie wide receiver who is excelling. And honestly, our we have him at a base 20% target share, which I think is low. We have him, one of the guys that we have a bigger discrepancy between base target share and and target share but yeah yeah you know i mean if he comes out as 28 percent target share guy he's smashing in round six like um i think we know he's not bad you know he's not necessarily like the super high upside type wide receiver that you might dream up in a lab but uh, in today's nfl yeah how does he fail like it's not like this team has a ton of options they they Obviously, added Jameson Williams. One way you can say he fails is when Jameson Williams comes back, he's not as good down the stretch with Swift, Hawkinson, and Williams all in the offense. Maybe DJ Chark's playing well. But, like, feels like a small hit, small miss, big hit player. You talked about, you know, if he has a 28% target share, that's a big hit, even in the sixth round. Like, that's a that's a big hit. And even though he's a slot guy, and even though his, you know, yards per reception won't be high because his dot won't be high and his touchdown rate maybe not be particularly high either. In PPR leagues, if he's – if he's earning a target share north of 25%, he's still going to be an easy hit in the sixth round. Yeah, just not a ton of guys that do that. And you know, Chark and Jamison, to me, I mean, those are just better players to help the offense roll, right? Like, I don't know if those guys are just going to crush Amon Ra on target share. And we're factoring that in, again, with the small hit, big or the small miss, big hit. Like, I, we have a 20%-ish base target share on Amon Ra St. Brown. I feel like that's pretty conservative. So that's assuming these guys take some targets. I do think these guys that, you know, they're just better down the field wide receivers than they had last year. That should help with spacing and whatnot. I would imagine not that I hate to get too football guy because that is clearly not my domain, but um, I've even found myself drafting Chark at times. He's for a while there. The Jamison Williams hype was like a little bit too high given where 
he's likely to go. That's cooled off, but it hasn't really shifted to Chark, who's going in FFPC right now as wide receiver 68. So I've definitely taken some chances. The ETR ranks have him as wide receiver 58. Jamison Williams, I mean, he could be brought along pretty slowly. I mean, he tore his ACL very late. I think it was actually this year, right? Wasn't it the the title game or? It, it was. was it yeah, the, I think so. So it was, it was actually this, you know, 2022. So, I mean, we're seeing guys come back quicker than ever before, but even in Jamison Williams' case, I mean, you're talking, like he's he's got to start the year on pop. So you're missing four games off the bat. And, you know, for a rookie too, that's, is he going to be worked in? Like he's probably going to be working a little bit slowly once he is back, um, unless he's just that good, which I guess is possible. But it was a national championship game, just to confirm that. I was pretty sure. I don't know. I, that was like threw me off a little. I wanted to look it up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have his targets pretty low. I mean, I feel like like you're talking about in his rookie year. I mean, they're kind of talking about it like it's going to be a little bit of a, a redshirt year for him. I think, you know, you look at like sort of how the Ravens brought along Bateman last year. They were really cautious. They brought him along. And then even when they brought him back, they weren't playing him a ton right away. I was calling for them to play him over Sammy Watkins, and they weren't ever really making that move. Yeah, I think they were sort of just sort of viewing – especially after Lamar got hurt, viewing it as kind of a redshirt year for him, get him some some reps, but he'll be – um, sort of their guy for the next year. It wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the way the Lions are viewing this. And, and with where they took him, knowing he has an ACL, you know that he's more in their long-term plans. Like, they they really like the player, and they know that they're not necessarily winning this year. They're going to be fun. Um, you, you talked about them potentially winning the division, so I shouldn't say that, you know, so, so definitively. But I, I don't think they're, like, going to be in a position to be rushing him, right? So he's a, he's a tough yeah. one, like – He's fun to dream on, and I've definitely been in drafts where I, I mean, I've clicked his name a couple of times, I've de- and I've been in spots where I've been like, "Well, if he comes back and he's, you know, playing enough late, it could be great." But I kind of feel like we're going to see a season where he misses at least half the year, and then for the next quarter of the year, he's not even playing that much, and then you know maybe we get some fun flashes for the last month, you know. Yeah, I think he's draftable, but to what you're saying, you, you want to know what you're getting yourself into as far as the type of bet you're making, and it's going to affect the format you're in. Yeah, you're in a keeper league with IR spots. It could be you know severely undervalued where you could get like a really good keeper tag on him, especially if like you're drafting after he's already like for sure going to be on pup to start the season or something. But yeah, if you're drafting him in in a typical managed league, if you don't have IR spots, you could be stashing a guy for a long time that might get worked in slowly and that might not be the type of bet you want to make. Do you know anything about uh Quinta Cephas's rehab? Because he's kind of interesting. I think he's he's back and doing all right. I know uh, we don't have we kind of on the back end of Detroit just sort of threw some targets the way of uh, Yeah I, I wrote there's a lot of ways to split Shark Cephas Jameson Reynolds Khalif Raymond. Like I, I that right. feels like I'm just a guess man. Yeah I think Reynolds Likely the wide receiver four, but I mean, these guys are all, I, I think they're irrelevant. Um, at least as far as drafting goes, like maybe there's guys you want to keep your eye on when the season starts, but uh, you're not drafting Josh Reynolds, Quintus Cephas or Khalif Raymond. Yeah. It does seem like if you're, if you're drafting any of them as Chark and you're expecting him, I mean, he didn't get a great contract in an off season where a lot of receivers did. And that's kind of been stuck in my head, but uh, had had some flashes, obviously. Has a good athletic profile. Somebody that could be good. 
but probably this passing game is going to be mostly Amon Ra, Hawkinson, Swift underneath. Goff kind of likes that low ADOT stuff. He's always had sort of a lower ADOT as a passer. Shark might have those splash plays for you. Let's go Hawkinson, who, man, I like I like Hawkinson, I think, more than the market. I mean, I guess like the, the ADP is probably about right. I personally have him ahead of Dalton Schultz in uh my rankings i think like the pure base projection might lean schultz's way a little bit but i think like the upside for hawkinson given what type of prospect he was is a lot higher he is a tough player to get a handle on i'd say the negative is he really hasn't flashed much efficiency you know he's yards per target his first three seasons 6.2 7.2 6.9 the positives is he's earning you know 100 plus target clips you know basically since he's been a starter um he's had that that pace over a full season which is really good for a tight end and you're hopeful that the efficiency comes as he gets better and as the team gets better around him yeah that was really well said i was really in on him last year had a strong target per out run as a rookie elevated that just a touch in year two and the yards per target also came up and i was saying okay if he can just keep you know, growing this in year three, uh, kind of on both sides of it, he's going to be, you know, and what the type of pro- prospect he was, all those things, he could be an absolute smash. Fortunately, both dipped down a little bit, right? So his targets per out run come down a little bit. So now you have this three-year thing where he's been kind of in the same range all three years, 19.5%, 20.9, and then he goes back to 20.5. I still think he can get up to like 23%, but he probably needs to to really hit his – his uh, ceiling and, and it's tougher now with Amon Ra there in the shorter area of the field to compete with. Maybe that makes him less of a key for defenses. Who knows? Uh, and then also, yeah, like you said, the yards yards per target, the, the yardage efficiency after earning the target is a really big part of it for him because he hasn't been very good at that. We'd like to see him have some explosive plays at some point. Uh, like his profile kind of suggests that he should be able to, to do a little bit more. Usually these high end, you know, first round pick type tight ends are, are typically a little bit more efficient uh, in terms of what they're able to do after they earn the targets and those things. And so he's kind of just like the same bet as last year, but we're one more year long where he didn't really break out and Amon Ra has kind of broken out. So I agree with you. The ceiling is probably still there. Sometimes tight ends break out a little later, but I'm less excited as a result of all yeah. this. And sometimes, I, I mean, I like these guys who are like doing just enough where you know, I, I think that it's easy to say the ceiling's not there because they haven't done it. But it's like if they keep doing just enough and it's like, is that ceiling like lingering under the surface? I don't know. Maybe. But um, that's like a Cooper Cup call right there. Right. Like yeah. Cup was always good. But then it was like, well, he's never really going to break out. And then eventually, I mean, a, a much later breakout than we expected. And all of his all of his numbers went through the roof, right? He had a year where his targets per out run, his yards per target, his touchdown rate, they all spiked. And he's, yeah. he was always good, right? Like he was always good. I mean, I can see, I can see that, that take, like he's not, Hawkinson's not been bad. So yeah. Yeah. He's not Cooper. A little... Let's, let's, let's pump the brakes on the Hawkinson Cooper cup analogy. <laughs> I don't want to say it's DJ Morris because DJ Moore has yeah. been like really legitimately good, but DJ Moore also hasn't had like the insane season that, like I, like I know it's there just because it hasn't happened. Totally there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but all, yeah. So ultimately, if you are drafting a non-tier one tight end, like I think Hawkinson's 
relative to ADP, a better bet than Schultz, a better bet than Goddard. For me, better bet than Dawson Knox, a better bet than Zach Ertz. Uh, I do think it's also fair, though, to just be like, I don't want to make one of those bets at all, and I just want to wait a tight end and go elsewhere. I'm either elite tight end or I'm just like, all right, I'm not going to take a tight end in the first 10 rounds. Let's go to Chicago. They're difficult to project because – Nagy was such a disaster last year. Uh, didn't help Justin Fields in any way, shape, or form. So we have yeah, two bits of missing information, which is, is Justin Fields good? And how does a competent coach operate an offense with Justin Fields? We think they're going to be slower paced, have them around 62 plays per game. You have them a bit more pass heavy than me at 62%. I have them being like pretty conservative at just under 61% pass rate, which you know spits out. I've got about one more pass attempt per game and about 1.8 more rush attempts per one. I have them one less pass attempt per game and 1.8 more rush attempts per game. Which for me is, I've mentioned on a couple of other shows, I did a little very simple regression with their Vegas win total and expected pass rate. I have them right around like, where their Vegas win total says they should be expected to go. Cause I don't want to assume, I guess the coaching tendencies, but it's also cause I'm a little bit bullish on fields. Like you're probably right. They're going to run. <laughs> like They're going to, they're going to probably run. Fields. I have with the highest scramble rate in the league. Um, I don't know how accurate that is. Cause he was just, you know, so under, I mean, he's going to be among the league leaders for sure. It just, I think I am at like 12%, you know, with his regress scramble rate, which is pretty high. A lot of these other guys like Lance Hertz and Lamar have more at like 10 to 10 and a half percent. So that's also feeding into me having you know high rush attempts per game and a little bit lower on pass attempts per game. I like it. Uh, Fields yeah, the- is like, I, we, we talk a lot of quarterbacks and especially ADP wise, no man's land. I do think, I'd rather wait and take Fields at his ADP than take, you know, Rodgers or Cousins earlier. Um, but they they go all in a row basically. So I don't know if you're getting like a huge edge, but you might be able to get Fields a couple rounds later than Rodgers. Yeah, I like that. If you can get that, I I like doing that. I was really high on Fields all throughout last year. I thought he got a really bad rap and played well. The issue I have is this is not a good roster. It's, you know, unproven coaching staff and Fields didn't play great. I thought he was not as terrible as people thought, basically that we should have been expecting some rookie struggles and his team was making things even worse, right? Like by, I mean, when Andy Dalton was in, they would actually throw on early down. So something I wrote about in Stealing Signals last year, I went and pulled the numbers. When Fields was in there, like trying to protect him by running on the early downs, but that just meant that every time he was dropping back to throw was an obvious passing down. So it's, it's counterintuitive, but you're, by not throwing more on early downs, you're taking him out of situations where he might Preach. actually be able to, to throw effectively. Um, so anyway, I thought he was uh, better as a player, but I don't think this roster is good enough to, to like help him. It's obviously a symbi- symbiotic thing. So I think, you know, he made some mistakes. I think he has to be a lot better above average just for his play to look average because he's playing behind a bad line. He doesn't have a great receiving core. If he's if he gets up to average, which I think he was probably a below average quarterback last year, even though it's really hard to judge because it was a terrible situation. If he gets up to average, 
he's going to look below average because this is not, I mean, this is like one of the worst situations to be in for a quarterback in the whole league, probably the worst, right? It's terrible. Yeah. It's a really bad situation, which is why I think fields is more of like backdoor upside to grab where, you know, yeah. it's, it's something we've, we've hit on a lot. It's like the top eight or so quarterbacks are starting to get an upside that other quarterbacks can't match, which changes the draft dynamics. If you miss out fields is sort of like, you know, maybe you're taking two quarterbacks and fields is one of them where you're just, you're just hope, hoping it completely hits because archetypically he has the upside where some of the other guys like Kirk cousins, for example, just does not have it right. There's just no universe in which Kirk cousins could have a top six fantasy season. It just, it cannot happen. Watch yeah. him, watch him do it now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I'm with you on that. I don't understand Kirk Cousins' ADP. He's not that exciting. Yeah, I, I like. I get it from like a, a raw points standpoint, but like Fields, there is an outcome where he's a top six quarterback, which is like he just turns out to be really good and he, he's running a lot. You know, like yeah. Jalen Hurtsian season from last year happens to to Fields. Yeah, the tough part is to really get ceiling. You don't just need rushing; you need, especially in the modern NFL to compete with, you know, the star quarterbacks, you need to have some passing numbers too. And that's the side of it where, and I think he can do the, a lot of the rushing stuff on his own, but that's the side of it where like his receivers aren't going to do him any favors. They're not going to get open. Yeah. They're not going to catch passes. They're like, you know, Darnell Mooney's probably pretty good. I don't think he's like a true number one. I don't know that anyone else on this roster is Cole Komet could, could take a step forward. I like him, but that's a, those are ancillary pieces to me. And there's, but, there's nothing else. No, but that's a really good point about the passing. Like, I, I was always a Tyrod Taylor truther, but you know, in today's NFL, he wouldn't even be all that fantasy relevant right. because you need both. Like, you, you need both. You, can't, you just don't need one. Um, let's go to running backs. Taylor's a great comp. That's probably what we're expecting as a Tyrod Taylor season. David Montgomery, <sighs> archetypically using that word a lot with the Bears, <laughs> not a running back I like to draft where. In, you're not really banking on much efficiency as far as talent from the player. You are banking on a lot of volume and it's an offense that might not be that good. And you know, those types of players make me squeamish for sure. I don't think his ADP is egregious. Some of his home league ADP is probably egregious where he goes in round three, but generally I'm going elsewhere here. Ben and I have really similar projections, which is around 230 rush attempts and just shy of 50 targets for Montgomery. Yeah, the big concern for me is, number one, Fields is going to limit the running back target rate. We see that with mobile quarterbacks. A lot of those dump-offs become scrambles. Uh, Fields is a guy who likes to get the ball down the field, tends to to have his eyes downfield, and, and take some sacks too. I, I don't think he's particular. That's probably one of his flaws is not getting to the running back and dumping it off. Maybe that's something to work on. Then number two, they drafted in the, I think the sixth round that Tristan Ebner guy, he had uh, five seasons at Baylor where he caught at least 20 passes and had like at least 250 receiving yards, at least 10, or I think it was at least 9% of his team's receiving uh, market share, which um, some of the guys over at Rotovis have done some great work that if you get to like, I think it's 10% receiving yardage market share for a running back, that's a good thing. He did it like a lot of different times. He he got five seasons playing because of the 2020 thing. They brought him in. He ran a 4-4, 4-4-3 or something like that at the combine. He's like their answer to not no longer having Tariq Cohen in their offense last year. It seems like to me, uh, if he's playing on passing downs as well, in addition to what I just said about Fields, 
I don't think there's this high value touch upside for a guy like Montgomery because his offense isn't going to score any points either, probably. So how many like touchdowns can you expect? It's just like a lot of empty touches, a lot of low vault value touches, a lot of rush attempts, not really particularly close to the end zone. Probably not enough catches, probably not enough short yards TDs. So it's it's not it's not fun. Yeah, and right now. I do want to follow the camp news on the running backs behind Montgomery. I mean, you mentioned Ebner as a high upside guy, like very athletic who they drafted. They also have Darrington Evans and we didn't talk about the primary backup yet, which is Cleo Herbert. Uh, so I want to follow that news. I actually have been drafting some Cleo Herbert just as like, like hoping he's the handcuff to own here. And he's kind of cheap as a, you know, like a handcuff bet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, the whole situation isn't great for Montgomery at his price, but if Herbert were to play, a lot of a lot of low value touches would be fine at his price, right? Is yeah. The way that, and he was good last year as a runner. Receiver, I know at ETR we've been much lower than the market on Darnell Mooney. I'm trying to figure this one out. I think I might just be honestly just underrating how good Darnell Mooney is. I've been hesitant to just throw too many targets to anyone in this offense, but Mooney earned a ton last year, clearly had a rapport with fields. You have him at 134 targets. I have 119. I think your number is much more in line with the market. But I like Um, your number more. I I don't don't think he's a star. I mean, I think he's a, he had about 18% targets per run as a, as a rookie up to 22% last year. My big point on his targets per run last year, they took a big jump. They're at 22%. That's great. But he was running routes alongside an Allen Robinson who looked like he just didn't want to be playing football and not much else. So, like, there wasn't target competition already. That was supposed to be his breakout season. That's like a number two season. That's not a star. Don't think there's as much more upside in him as his truest believers think. Yeah, I agree. The one thing I'll say for the true believers with our projection, we have him like just a little bit behind ADP, which generally the way a draft goes, if you have a guy ranked behind ADP, even if it's only a little bit, you're not getting them because there's always going to be other, you know, the draft doesn't go in the exact order of your personal draft board, right? Like there's going to be other guys you're ahead of ADP that you're going to take. Um, so in that regard, we're low on Perangle or on Mooney, but it's not like insanely low. So if you did actually think he was really good, I, I could see it where okay, wow, this guy's just going to dominate the targets because there's nobody else. And But um, yeah, that's not quite how I see it. It is ugly behind him. You've got Byron Pringle, Vilas Jones, Equinamius St. Brown, Nikhil Harry. It's uh, Sharp, David Moore, just every random guy that was like the, you know, $3,100 throw on the end of a stack player in DFS at like one point in their career. And that's the only reason we know who their names are. Yeah. So really the only one I've drafted some in best ball, some correlated round 18 Pringle or Vilas Jones. That's it. That's the extent. Wouldn't touch these guys and managed whatsoever. I, I mean, yeah, I, that's how I've been playing it too. And I think that's fair. The only other, I mean, just, can we just like, say a little bit more about Nikhil Harry. <laughs> I don't have anything really. To I heard, say. I heard a ball hit him in the hat at camp and it got okay. intercepted. All right. All right. That was enough about Nikhil Harry. We can move on. <laughs> I guess if we were to talk about some, it'd probably be the rookie Vilas Jones. Um, you know, people are always interested in rookies, uh, but not someone that popped 
analytically. As He's a uh, quite a bit older than Justin Fields, so maybe he can mentor Fields. <laughs> like that's not a joke; <laughs> that's a real thing. It's like yeah, isn't he older like... than him. I think he's older than Mooney. I was looking. He's twenty. He is twenty-five. He's twenty-five. Yeah, and I think Mooney is, if I'm not mistaken, even younger. Yeah, Mooney's twenty-four. So Vilas Jones, twenty-five-year-old breakout season. (laughs) Sorry. Cole Komet is man. I was really into Cole Komet last year. I I suppose there's some like Hawkinsonian like comp where. The good news is he earned targets like at a pretty high rate for a tight end. The bad news is it just also just didn't didn't really do much with them. I mean, the whole offense stunk. For me, he's just in that tier of tight ends where I'm waiting. So I really haven't drafted much Cole Komet, even yeah. though I have him with one of the better target shares among, you know, non-elite tight ends in the league. Yeah, he hasn't really flashed like big targets per run potential yet he was kind of an underrated prospect um speaking of you know age stuff he came in pretty young so he would be a guy that you might expect to to develop slowly he played as a 21 year old as a rookie he's 23 now uh the one thing i can say sort of positively is that they were using jimmy graham situationally in the red zone so much last year and jimmy graham's no longer on the roster that maybe Cole Komet's sort of empty targets will now feature some touchdown potential because he didn't really have that last year. They were using Graham so much. The unfortunate counter to that is they replaced Graham with, because they just love tight ends in Chicago, no matter who's there, you know, who's running their team with Ryan Griffin and James O'Shaughnessy, who are two like journeyman tight ends, but who are not like bad journeyman tight ends. Both those guys have had decent target stretches, not really seasons. O'Shaughnessy was catching quite a few targets for the Jags last year for a stretch. Griffin has had some moments back with his in his Jets days and, and earlier when he was with the Texans. Um, so, yeah, now he still has, like, other pretty good tight ends behind him on a team that doesn't really have a lot of, you know, a lot of other weapons, but, but tight end suddenly looks full. Okay. That does it for the NFC North. Six out of eight divisional podcasts done. Make sure you check out Establish the Edge on iTunes or the Established on YouTube channel to watch the previous episodes in this series. We've got two more to knock out next week, which will be the South divisions in both the AFC and the NFC. Make sure you're checking out Ben at bengretch.substack.com. He's got two substacks, one for stealing signals, which is his general fantasy advice. And then in season, really good weekly reports on play calling and player level usage uh, that Ben really dives in deep and it's very useful and stealing lines, which is his new sub stack looking at things from a betting perspective. And he's also on the stealing bananas podcast with Sean Siegel. Thanks for tuning in everybody. We'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.